Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Wharton FinTech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. Our guest today is Kelly Fryer, Executive Director of FinTech Sandbox, a nonprofit that promotes innovation in the financial sector worldwide by providing fintech entrepreneurs and startups with access to critical data and resources at no cost. The FinTech Sandbox accepts new startup applications on a rolling basis. So if you or someone you know is part of a fintech startup that could benefit from this critical program, make sure to apply. In this episode, we discuss Kelly's background and why she's so passionate about new technologies and their applications in the financial industry, the importance of access to data and resources for early stage startups, and how the FinTech Sandbox helps democratize access to information, their application process, program structure, partnerships, and the kind of startup they typically look for, driving inclusive fintech and why this is one of Kelly's most important goals and just a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kelly Fryer. Kelly, welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a nice, warm, sunny day here in New York and I love it. Spring's my favorite time, so I'm happy. Yeah, winter is finally behind us. Thank God. <laughs> I'm I'm not built for the cold. So uh, any kind of spring, summertime is that's my sweet spot. And and this was a long. Every, I think every year I feel that it was a long. <laughs> <laughs> I think the February was the worst for me, at least. Like it just seemed to snow nonstop. It was like all of winter just concentrated its snow in February, and then we struggled to melt out of that. Probably explains all those people that uh, flocked to Miami. We actually had the the mayor of Miami join us while we had a snowstorm outside on on the East Coast. Oh, there you go. To see his background, it was all sunny and beautiful. I mean, especially when you think about quarantine and the pandemic and everything like that. I mean, it was a stark contrast from like November when it was still fairly warm and folks were taking walks outside and still able to really get plenty of outdoor time because it was still warm to then when the temperatures dropped and everybody really was stuck inside I mean, outdoor dining wasn't as much of a possibility anymore and things like that. And now that it's warm, I feel like cities and towns have kind of come back to life again with people being out and about and just kind of a renewed energy, which is wonderful to see. Yeah, I I love it. I love it. It's definitely coming back. Well, Kelly, I mean, first of all, thank you for joining us. Super excited to hear about you and about the FinTech Sandbox. Maybe we we can get started there. Maybe you can... Tell us about uh, about your background, right? Yeah. And then uh, tell us a bit about the FinTech Sandbox because I, I know you guys are doing some some really interesting things. We are, yeah. So in terms of my background, I mean, I'll start from the beginning, I guess, and from a career standpoint. So I started at Bloomberg LP straight out of school in their global data department. So I spent 
gosh, four years there as kind of both a data analyst focusing on equity indexes to so things like S&P 500 and MSCI and things that I, I think at the time never thought I would be working on, but ended up finding interesting. And then moved into doing more special projects for the department. So I was leading projects around how to utilize, at the time, fairly new technologies like machine learning and natural language processing, things like that to help our teams be more efficient and effective in their work. So learned a lot about tech from that. From there, went on to business school, got my MBA from Indiana's Kelly School of Business. And at the time, again, wasn't specifically looking to get into fintech, but just knew I wanted to work hands-on with startup founders. I think, and I'm sure you've experienced it too at school, there's a lot of distractions and I, you know, shiny paths in business school. So that was really what I tried to keep as my North Star of like where I was headed with my career. Um, and so that ended up leading me to Techstars, which was the role I had right before Fintech Sandbox. So I worked for Techstars as a program director for their Fintech Accelerator program out of New York, which is where I'm based. I ran that class for three years and really kind of got to sit at this wonderful intersection of early stage fintechs, venture capitalists and major incumbents and got to kind of support founders, which I'm super passionate about, and cultivate this community of mentors and investors and enterprises within fintech. So this role now as executive director of Fintech Sandbox is just kind of this wonderful merging of all those past experiences where, you know, from Techstars, I know the ecosystem really well and understand how early stage fintechs think. In fact, several of my Techstars portfolio companies are also Fintech Sandbox companies. So it's funny to have this overlap between like, you know, you have Harvest Platform, who's just acquired by Acorns, Honeyfy who was just acquired by Strategic Financial Solutions, Sigma Ratings, other great companies like that. And then obviously with Bloomberg, have the data provider perspective too. So joining Fintech Sandbox last fall has been just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Yeah. And and you know, speaking of Techstars, we've had quite a few companies who have graduated from Techstars. Oh, great. Yeah. And, and also most recently, we had El Bruno, who leads the Techstars Western Union. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, I haven't had the chance to meet her. She took over for um, Ethan Austin, who I worked closely with um, and, and used to run that program. But that's that's another great accelerator program too. Yeah. And, and so what uh, sparked your curiosity and eventually convinced you to, to join the FinTech Center? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, to be honest, like people is really the short answer. The FinTech Sandbox was founded by Sarah Biller and David Jagan who reached out about the opportunity when they were looking for a new executive director. And I had worked with Sarah some. She was a mentor for Techstars. So I'd gotten to know her over the last few years. David Jagan, who's managing partner at F Prime Capital, has such a wonderful background and just reputation in the industry. So it was just honestly this incredible opportunity to work and learn from such smart, generous people that it's it's a little bit hard to say no to. <laughs> and, and it's been a great seven months so far. Awesome. Awesome. And, and so you have, obviously you have your team, full-time team, but you also have board members and advisors, right? So maybe you can tell us about the structure yeah. of the institution. And also let's talk a bit also about uh, the companies that you work with in, in the application process, but let's start with the team. 
Yeah. Before we even talk about the team, I should probably talk a little bit more about what Fintech Sandbox actually does in case there's anybody who, who's not familiar with it. So it's Fintech Sandbox is a nonprofit that enables early stage fintechs to build product by giving free access to critical data and resources. So Fintech is a bit unique in that in order to build a new solution, you often need data on the back end to power your product, whether that be investment or market data, credit data, transaction data, it usually needs something behind the scenes to power a model or data inputs into how the product functions. And so access to these data sets can be really, really expensive. Sometimes you're talking about upwards of $200,000, which when you're an early startup just trying to test a feature or train a model before it even goes live, I mean, you can easily run out of cash just in the testing phase before you even get close to talking about revenue. So Fintech Sandbox has this really wonderful network of 40 data partners like FactSet, Moody's, Plaid, Equifax, who provide access to their premium data sets to support our startups through our data access residency program. So since it's data access, it's a virtual program that admits companies on a rolling basis throughout the year. Right now, we have 230 startups in our portfolio to date generally focused on the US, Canada, and UK markets. The nice thing is since we're a nonprofit, we don't take equity. Um, instead, we ask the startups to give back to the fintech sandbox community and to one another. The vast majority of the startups that come to us, honestly, are in the early stage of their life cycle. We usually see bootstrap and seed stage most frequently. So if you think about that, those are companies that either have raised no money and need to access to data to build out their product, or those who have raised a bit of money and now kind of need access to get to launch or do, you know, another iteration of testing. And then generally, you know, we tend to skew B2B. We're about 70% B2B in our portfolio. I think that'll shift, honestly, over the next couple of years. But we do see a lot of business tools, financial research, institutional investments. And then on the B2C side, tend to see kind of personal finance, retail investing, lending. So it's really great to be able to provide kind of these free data access to so many startups as a way to help them build their products, as a way to help them get to market. So you, you mentioned US, Canada, and the UK. Yes. How about the rest of the world? Uh, have you considered to start accepting uh, startups from, say, Latin America or Africa? or else? Yeah. Yeah, great question. So we do have startups that are based in other areas. Like we do have some startups that are based in other parts of Europe. And we have a couple coming out of like Israel, which you see a lot of cybersecurity. We just onboarded our first Brazilian startup a couple of weeks ago. So we're excited about that. And to be honest, our geographic focus on US, UK, and Canada has a lot more to do with the data providers that we currently have on board in the sense of kind of having availability for customer service, um, having kind of realistic SLAs to be able to help the teams, things like that. So yes, I think there's definitely opportunities to expand in the future. But we also know that there's a lot of great startups in those markets that we still haven't hit yet too. Fascinating. And, And so you work with a lot of people, right? What kind of profile are you looking for companies that are going to come in and join you? Yeah. So in terms of profile of company, like I said, you know, we usually onboard probably about 40 to 50 startups a year, which puts us at about 30, 40% acceptance rate. Um, we have some basic requirements that kind of 
Um, I'll say put kind of guardrails on the too, too early and the too late ends of the spectrum. So as in, you need to be an incorporated entity. You need to at least have an alpha product bill and be out of self mode. You must have at least one full-time person dedicated to the effort and dedicated engineering resources. That way you can actually work with the data. And then kind of on the other end of the later stage, and then we typically go up to about series A and try and stay under 1 million in ARR, which again, goes back to kind of the free data access. If the data provider knows that you can easily fund the data access yourself, it makes it a little bit of a harder harder sell. But I mean, I'd say generally, you know, from our standpoint, it's an application process. So we accept applications on a rolling basis. I'd say we have a fairly straightforward and quick selection process when you look at other kind of startup programs out there. There's no deadline. So you can submit your application whenever you feel ready or whenever you feel like it's time to actually utilize the data. The application kind of asks about your product, vision, team, and importantly to us, your data use case. So what data sets are you looking for? How do they fit into your product roadmap? And then from there, you'll do a first round interview with myself, a couple of people from my team, really just an initial conversation to kind of scratch the surface, understand what your product does, what you've built so far, how you're thinking about going to market, answer some questions about FinTech Sandbox too, so you have a good idea of what you're actually asking to sign up for. And then if all goes well, we'll do a second round interview, which we involve our data advocates in that. So our data advocates are folks that have worked closely with FinTech Sandbox for years. They've been involved in financial services, data, VC, really know the industry well. And so usually in that interview, you'll do a brief demo. You'll dive into kind of deeper understanding of your product strategy, roadmap. And then from there, hopefully we'll, we'll onboard you to the FinTech Sandbox and, and get you going with some, some data access. Yeah, we're definitely going to include a, a link to the application. So those listeners interested can buy. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, I'd say like one question we tend to get a lot is, you know, what are you looking for in companies or how does what you consider look any different than say another accelerator program or what a VC might consider? And to be honest, the main difference is the data needs is that we have that extra factor around data needs. So, you know, we definitely think about, do we see a clear need for the data sets that we offer? And do you have a clear plan or think you have a clear plan around how you'll leverage those data sets as well? Do you require or ask startups themselves to share data as well? Good question. So I mentioned before that we don't take equity um, and that we use a give back agreement. And part of that usually involves those companies being willing to share any open source code that they're able to, to our GitHub repository. The other thing that we're seeing more is like an interesting trend is I think more and more just generally across FinTech, you're seeing fintechs themselves become data providers and then realize that they have this unique data set and unique offering that they can offer to other fintechs, to financial services to providers, consumers. And so we're starting to see now fintechs that went through our program that now want to be data providers back to the program too, which is this interesting like full circle moment that that's happening. But we're getting more and more of our own portfolio companies that are offering their data back and wanting to become a data provider. Which is cool. Yeah, yeah, no, sounds sounds great. As the ecosystem grows, you know, and and the companies mature, their capability to give back also. Exactly. Yeah, you're. I mean, and you're also seeing too, you know, trends in 
data, as in, you know, you're seeing much more alternative data or really niche data sets to that we didn't have three years ago, five years ago. Um, and so I think it's making just purely the sources of data much broader and much more robust because of that, which is a positive thing for the market. But also, again, if you're trying to consume the data, it can be challenging that now you have all these smaller players or more aggregate data providers that now you have to figure out how do we onboard all of these and consume all of their data sets into our, our own products. Kelly, you have publicly stated in the past some of the goals that are important for you. And, and one of those is driving inclusive fintech, right? I'd love to hear more about it, uh, you know, your, your efforts on, on sure. this, uh, this topic and, and also the progress. Yeah. So we have been talking a lot about sustainable and inclusive finance. You know, we think of it as by viewing finance really through a human lens, fintech sandbox sees the shortfalls and also areas of potential growth for the industry. Um, and our goal is to support and help build products that empower people and help people to gain agency in their financial lives by supporting the entrepreneurs that are building those products, right? So we think of sustainable and inclusive finance through kind of three main areas. ESG transparency. So think of that as could be risk analytics. It could be tracking and reporting methods. It could be supplier diversity, ESG score consistency, which is a huge issue. The second piece is financial access. So thinking about alternative lending factors, small business financing, wealth building. And then the third is climate change. So financing infrastructure projects, supply chain tracing, energy initiatives. Data is really everything when it comes to sustainable and inclusive finance. It's so funny. I talk to, to many people and when I ask about data, they kind of just let out this big sigh and are like, data is at the center of everything related to sustainable and inclusive finance. So, you know, consistent, transparent, unbiased quality data. It's a huge ask, but it's also a huge overarching need in this space. And that's why it's so important for us at Fintech Sandbox to start to focus on that area and, and be a leader in the space, especially when it comes to data. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you mentioned that because tomorrow we're publishing our interview with the CEO of S&P Global. Oh, and one of our partners. Oh, that, 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 perfect. It makes a lot of sense because he talked for a you know, number of minutes about ESG and their mm -hmm. efforts to actually improve the data quality to track all the ESG efforts across the board, right? I mean, this is a perfect example. So you mentioned they're one of your partners. How do you work with them? Yeah, great question. So S&P Global... For example, we have pre-negotiated an agreement with them to get them to offer certain premium data sets to our startups for six months. So that's really what startups are getting during the data access residency is they get to choose from our over 40 data providers and say, you know, I want S&P Global and I want Faxet and I want Equifax and I want Plaid. And, you know, we connect them to those data providers and then they get access to their premium data sets for free for six months to start doing their testing and things like that. So if you're building a credit product, we have 
lending and underwriting data for you if you're building sentiment analysis or portfolio analytics. We have news and stock data on the ESG side. You know, we have increasingly more and more ESG scores to help with investment transparency and consistency and disclosures. So I think we'll continue to see some really great things, especially on the ESG side on the climate and financial access side, alternative data sets. And again, I think I kind of talk about it as creative or proxy data sets. I think hedge funds have been doing this for a while of like, how do you kind of back into a data set by recreating it in another way? So a great example is, you know, there's a really great company that I worked with at Techstars called Revealio Labs. They look at headcount data and take a sample of headcount data through LinkedIn and other, you know, sources and are able to then create what they estimate to be the headcount and employee resources across an entire enterprise. So it's like, how can you create those proxies and back into data sets? becomes really, really interesting in this space too. No, that's fascinating. And, you know, it sounds like these areas, right, ESG, access and climate change, sounds like these are extremely important, but also areas that you're excited you're excited for the companies that are emerging within these areas. Right? I am. Yeah, I, I really am. It's it's nice. We have some companies already in our portfolio. Like as in, this isn't a new space for us. We've already have several companies that are focused on these areas. So if I look at, you know, for example, Pedal, who built the smart credit card where you don't need a credit score or Clarity AI, which gives sustainability and social insights on investment portfolios or Future Fuel, who does student debt repayment. Like all of those are some of our really great companies who are focused on areas in this space. But now going forward, you know, having a much more intentional focus on that through having the right data providers on board who support the products that are being built in this space. So that's really kind of our next phase is now that we've kind of talked to the experts and continue to talk to the experts and really shape our own perspective and value proposition in this space is now we're excited to go after and target specific data providers that will help us to better support the startups in this space and then bring on more of those startups into our portfolio too. And Kelly, so sounds like you were already remote pre-pandemic. So, so you did we not <laughs> uh, skip a beat when the pandemic hit. Yeah, I mean, so that's a nice thing. We're fortunate in that our data access residency was already a virtual program. You know, I think with a typical accelerator program, there's a lot of benefit to sitting in the same room with fellow startup founders and going through the shared experience. With data access, the same structure isn't necessary. So from a pure programming standpoint, it made pretty uh, seamless in terms of just moving forward in, in the pandemic. On more of kind of the event side is where we had to make adjustments. So every year, Fintech Sandbox hosts a demo day to showcase our recent startups. And then we also host Boston Fintech Week to celebrate the fintech ecosystem in Boston, which is where the company is headquartered. So we've gone virtual with all of our events, as everyone has over the last year. Last fall, we hosted a virtual demo day, which... I think the pleasant surprise with that or silver lining with that is that we had a lot of folks who normally wouldn't be able to attend our demo day and could attend from the comfort of their home, but from a global perspective. So we were actually able to broaden our audience with that, which was nice. 
We just wrapped up our second FinTech Talk virtual event series two weeks ago. So it's wonderful to have that second one of that and great attendance with that. And then otherwise, we're really excited to host Boston FinTech Week this fall. It'll be September 28th to October 1st. And our theme is financial services for anyone, anywhere, anytime, directly fitting into that sustainable and inclusive finance kind of focus. But hopefully, we'll be able to do that at least a portion in person or, or a hybrid if we're able to. I think the I get the sense overall that honestly, the ecosystem just like chomping at the bit to be back together and that folks just want like normal networking and in-person events. And so we're, we're hoping that by the fall, we'll at least be able to bring some folks back together. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. But also there's this recognition that the post-pandemic reality is definitely going to be a, a bit more flexible, right? Yes, absolutely. Hybrid from your point of view, right? How are you envisioning, you know, your your future demo days and then the future construct of, of your program? Yeah, great question. From a program standpoint, again, I don't think a ton will change from it, other than your earlier perspective about a global fintech community is continuing to leverage and get to know and build brand and community and other fintech hubs around the globe. Again, I think we're with the nice thing about the pandemic is we created this kind of really borderless ecosystem. And I hope desperately that that's here to stay and that we continue to build on that. From an event standpoint, you know, again, we do events really to, to bolster our community and support our ecosystem. So I think from that standpoint, we're probably going to continue what both at our company, but all conferences and events see some kind of continued hybrid model. I think folks, you know, you're missing out if you kind of leave out the people that can't be there physically in person. If we, again, if we're talking about inclusivity, asking everyone to hop on a flight to go to a conference and network isn't feasible, isn't realistic. So I think kind of going forward, a lot of events will have that in-person component, but also virtual component going forward. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for that as well. Um, Because there's certainly conferences that I, I wish I could have attended, but they were happening, I don't know, in London or in Madrid, you know. Exactly. <laughs> or, or even like there's some conferences that I think typically are for a certain C-suite level of attendees. And then now with the pandemic and that they can broadcast it online, all of a sudden these conferences that were normally fairly closed door now kind of get opened up to more and more people. And so I think that that's a positive thing for everyone from an education standpoint, from an opportunity standpoint, and you, you're able to attend things that you just never even would have gotten the invite for before. So Kelly, I don't know, if you're looking back in three, five, I, I won't put an exact number of people, okay. in a few years. <laughs> Sometime in the future. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> if you're looking back at the progress of the, of the program and the work that you did, what would be you know, a great outcome? Right. Yeah, what's what's my mark that I'm leaving? You know, for me, I really see my goal is to lead fintech sandbox through its next iteration and really make a measurable impact with sustainable and inclusive finance. I think we've done a great job already of really making sure we capture the capital markets data providers and capital markets offerings. Um, and I want to do that same thing with sustainable and inclusive finance. You know, again, we talked about kind of this need for this shift in data between 
Originally, fintech was really heavily focused on the markets and trends related to that. And now it's a lot of this unstructured data that's really challenging to access and consume and take in in a usable way. So for me, it's kind of this exciting time for the company to shift gears and move with the market to better support fintech entrepreneurs and really kind of grow our impact on the ecosystem. I see it a little bit as this like, that means being more intentional with what areas we focus on within fintech, which allows us to offer even more of the right data and then make easier access and consumption of data, which then enables startups to build better, faster, smarter, and this kind of like turning wheel that continually goes and hopefully perpetuates into, into constant motion. So that's one piece. And then, you know, the other piece is what we honestly just talked about in terms of I'm excited to continue to grow our presence. You know, if you're within Boston or if you're within Northeastern fintech community, then you probably already know about fintech sandbox and know all about it. But like I mentioned, we have startups that are based all over the world. And so building that same brand and awareness and community across all fintech hubs and across all startup ecosystems is really important to allow fintech sandbox and our network to support one, even more entrepreneurs, but to support them even better by having a wider network to support them. So those are kind of the two most important things to me, at least as I, if I were to look back, you know, five, whatever years from now, <laughs> time is, is elusive <laughs> at the moment, but sometime in the future. Awesome. Awesome. And this, this episode helps a little bit for people around the world to, to find out about the uh, FinTech Sandbox. Yeah. Uh, so Kelly, if, uh, if you've listened to past episodes, you know we love to ask a little bit about our guest's personal side. And Perfect. We, love it. We, we'd love to hear about uh, some of your hobbies. I, I imagine you, you know, maybe, maybe your hobbies might have changed a little bit during the pandemic, but I, I'm sure you, you have some activities outside of uh, the FinTech Sandbox. I do. And my um, my hobby has not changed in the last like 20 years. So I've wow. been a horseback rider competitively since I was eight or nine years old. So right now, I think I'm going to the barn around four-ish days a week, depending on how busy work things get. But honestly, with the pandemic, it's truly been my lifeline. I think in some ways, it started to mean more to me or mean something new to me in the last year, just with you know, the barn wasn't shut down during quarantine for the last year, which was a massive blessing. So just being able to get outside and be with the horses and go riding has been hugely important for, for my mental health over the last year. But honestly, for the last couple of decades, I, I really attribute all my riding to a lot of who I am as a person, um, my work ethic, my organization, my empathy, I think all comes from my riding you know, when you're a little kid and you need to take care of another being first before you take care of yourself, like that teaches you a lot of things um, and means a lot to you. Um, and I think that's really made me a lot of who who I am today. That sounds amazing. I, I don't think we've had uh, that hobby. Yes, uh, yet. first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Kelly, thank you for, for joining. I mean, Truly fascinating. I love what uh, the FinTech Sandbox is doing. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Goes without saying that you're you're now a friend of uh, the show and of, of Wharton, and you should stop by in person uh, once things go back to normal. I would love to. Yes, I'll take the, the train down to visit. I love being down in Philly. 
Awesome. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. It means a lot and helps spread the word to more listeners. If you want more content from our fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. We also want to extend a special thank you to our show editor, Rafael Ostria. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. 